Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List, new Marvel comics on sale December 7th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for mangoes, if you didn't know. Mmm, mangoes. Love Mm -hmm, a good mango. Yes. It's true. That's why they call you Agent M. That's right. It's accurate and not at all a lie. Uh, We are now in... The waning days of 2022, but we still have comics. And y'all, hold on to your butts because we have 25 new issues to talk to you about this week. So we got a lot of great books to get to. So let's not belabor the point because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics where we run you through every new comic on sale every week. We give our picks of the week. We give out an award to all the comics of the week based on a quote that we pull from one of the issues. We're going to tell you what's hitting Marvel Unlimited, what new Infinity comics are out, what collections are on sale, and even get into a reading club. Jasmine, who's our reading club with this week? Yes, we are talking to the creative director of Marvel's Midnight Suns, the new video game available right now, Jake Solomon. Then we're going to be talking about Spirits of Vengeance, Rise of the Midnight Suns. It was actually fun. He's like, the whole thing is wacky. It's amazing. I can't wait to get into it with him. He is a true triple D, a ding dang delight. Can't wait for everybody to hear us talk about Rise of the Midnight Suns and so much more with Jake a little bit later. Yeah. All right, let's get into the new issues now with our picks of the week. I'm going to kick us off with Dark Web Number one, this is also called Dark Web Dusk, a.k.a. Yeah. And I love the title of this issue, which is All the Real Boys and Girls, which is kind of a super upsetting thing when you think about that the two characters at the core of this are Ben Riley, clone of Peter Parker, and Madeline Pryor, clone of Jean Grey. So there's a lot of heavy stuff. Spoiler alert. I mean, for... 40 years ago, sure. Uh, (laughs) But we are embarking on this big journey with writer Zeb Wells, artist Adam Kubert, colorist Frank Martin, and letterer Joe Caramagna. This is the big kickoff to uh, this dark web story, which is going to take us across a whole bunch of titles from Spidey books and X-Men books. There's going to be some Ms. Marvel in there. We're tying into Gold Goblin. Uh, Venom is in there. The new Mary Jane and Black Cat series. A lot of stuff coming out of this big book and it's it's a very simple thing madeline Pryor is now the queen of limbo she's got tons of magic power she's back alive she's back and she's pissed off and she is teaming up with ben riley who is also extremely pissed off he has a new alias he is chasm which is a really cool costume it's purple and green and, and silver and he has lost a bunch of his memories and a bunch of the basically a lot of the Peter Parkerisms that make him whole. And so there is this chasm inside him that, oh. uh, yeah, that, uh, that wow, yeah, he that is driving him to find a way to get those back through magic and mayhem. Madeline and Ben are going to try their best to get themselves back to who and what they think they should be. So that you got a lot of like moving pieces by them. And they're going to do that by bringing Limbo to Earth. And so there's a lot of vibes of the classic Inferno storyline, which is a true favorite. The thing about the original Inferno storyline 
it, it had demonic possession of a lot of cool things. It had wild costumes and, and big swings and really beautiful art and big melodramatic action adventure brought a lot of characters in. It was a big X-Men crossover in the 80s, but it was set during the summertime. There was this palpable feeling of heat and a oppressive humidity and that like sense of hell on earth really amped up. One of the things I love about this is it flips that and it's happening during wintertime. So you've got Christmas all time. these gnarly messed up hellish things going on, but it's also in a time period where there's snow on the ground and there's holiday stuff where there's a whole scene at the uh, ice skating rink at uh, Rockefeller center, which is great where you see like a Zamboni that has been monsterized yeah. by Adam Kubert is so cool. And then like the tree is like, looks like just sharp and full of daggers. It's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Of course it is because you got Adam and Frank Martin doing beautiful work, man. There's a lot to love about this. Zeb is, is building this great story and we're going to have a lot of issues to come out of this over the next two or so months. So get ready, get on the dark web train. Yes. Going to keep going with the Spider-Man train and talk about my first pick of the week, which is Miles Morales, Spider-Man issue number one, written by Cody Ziegler, friend of the show. Art by Federico Vicentini. Uh, we have colors by Brian Valenza and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. I have been so hyped for this book to hit shelves. I am so pumped to see this creative team just really take big swings with this character. Um, I love Miles Morales. And as soon as you open it up, you know exactly what kind of book you're going to get. It's just full of momentum. It's full of comedy and like, just all these humorous beats, but at the same time, the thing that that Cody Ziegler manages to just really, really, really grasp is the like humanity and heart of Spider-Man at its core. Like I thought this was a really interesting way to start a Spider-Man uh, arc or story, where we not only you know watch Spider-Man take on Scorpion uh, and crack a couple jokes, a couple quips here and there, but also really tackle this idea of doing the right thing. Like, what does that mean? just coming to terms with the fact that you might not be able to do everything. I find that so refreshing. I find it so, it's something that like, I think anybody can relate to, but also just like putting that on a teenage boy, especially a, a male person of color, like is such a heavy burden, such a heavy weight. And that's something that we're tackling here. And I, I love to see it. And Federico Vicentini's art in this book is just so dynamic. It's gorgeous. I could not get enough of it. We read these digitally and I think I might, must have taken like over like a dozen screenshots because I was just like, this is so cool. The way he he draws the momentum and the movement of the different characters, the way that he, you can almost feel this like weightlessness on Spider-Man when he's swinging around. Um, it's really cool. And it's also very reminiscent of the Spider-Verse animated movies where we get a little bit of that cell shaded type of aesthetic, uh, which I really, really adore here. But more importantly, you can see that Federico Vicentini is just like, he's challenging himself with ways on how to draw. Man, when we get down to the like the last couple of pages of this book, it's it's a gut punch. The fact that he's always late to school when he won a lottery to be in one of the most gifted schools in the city, like his teacher grills him. He's like, you know, like there are people who would essentially do almost anything to be in this school in this position and you are always showing up late like you're not being grateful oh that was such a gut punch to like get through but these are these real life problems that spider-man has to deal with has to cope with and for some reason it just hits a lot harder right now when you're reading these pages and you want to root for miles but you're also like dang bro you're on your own here i don't know what to tell you it's tough indeed all right 
So normally we pick one more book of the week. We're, we're doing a little audible here and picking two, tying them together because they are tied together. The first is Thanos Death Notes, number one, and then we're going to talk about Thor, number 29. But first up, Thanos Death Notes is just tremendous. It's so good. It's a big, jam-packed issue with a number of different stories by different creative teams in here. I want to also shout out right up front the Daniel Acuna variant cover if you're one of the one of our marvel fans out there who goes and gets variant covers ask your retailer for the daniel cunha variant cover because it's uh like a, an homage to the original infinity gauntlet daniel even puts a little for george on there it's a little for george Perez. Um, who passed away this year, and it's it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. There's actually a ton of really great variants on this issue, on a lot of issues. Dark Web has a bunch of great variants as well. We get into this with a framing sequence, and it is by Torun Grombeck, and art by Andrea DeVito, with colors by David Curiel, and lettering by VC's Travis Lanham. So Torin, hi Torin, we know you're listening. Hi. Uh, Torin writes the story where Thor goes to Titan, to Thanos' home planet, and he's, you know, looking around. He's trying to figure out why he had this vision and what it means that he had this vision of Thanos holding Mjolnir that was infused with the Infinity Stones. And he also had this black glove with another gem on it, a giant stone. And he's he's trying to figure out what all this means. All of his friends, his family, himself are all basically dead and seemingly working for Thanos. So... We saw this previously in, in some Thor comics. And so this has sort of been percolating under the surface. So now we're getting to the meat and potatoes of it all. And Thor goes to Titan to try to figure out, maybe I can learn something there. So we get him rifling through files and there are lots of really great little Easter eggs in here. But then that leads us to when he's finding these files, to what the files have. So we we then open up into a bunch of other stories. The first one by written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Travel Foreman, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettering by VC's Travis Lanham, which is so good. It takes place right after Iron Man number 55, the original first appearance of Drax and Thanos, where Iron Man, you know, first encountered him. And it's Iron Man trying to dissect and understand a Thanos robot, but it's oh man. It has so many cool little tidbits in here, and the robot gives Tony visions of the future, this really bunch of messed up moments. There's this one half page where Travel Foreman draws one of the most messed up scenes ever. It is a ha almost half page of tons of superheroes and supervillains being like sliced with buzzsaws. And so we get their insides and what that looks like. Jasmine, the choices for who shows up on this page are so good. So wild. It, it's truly, honestly, I think it's probably the most important characters in the Marvel Universe. D-Man's I mean, on there. Modok is on there. Oh, wait, you know what? I'm wrong because Gambit's on there and nobody likes Gambit. He's trash. But we also True. get uh, original appearance cable with like the layered shoulder pad things that he had when he first was uh, appearing in New Mutants. Like there's a lot of really cool things in here. It is wild and gross and upsetting but there's also another flashback in this where we go to this very upsetting scene of wolverine hanging lifeless by his claws dr strange hung by his cloak spider-man and captain america both impaled on very sharp things and i saw this and i go oh they reference one of my favorite comics 
when I was 10 years old, I read Infinity Gauntlet and I was like, I need more. And so Silver Surfer at the time, written by Ron Mars and had art by uh, Ron Lim, did really close side stories to Infinity Gauntlet. And issue number 55 of Silver Surfer is this, is this scene right here. The cover is in here. And then sort of like the interiors depict exactly what you see in this issue. I saw it and it brought back all these memories. I love that issue. It gives like a a sort of different telling of the Infinity Gauntlet saga. But man, that right there would have made it one of my favorite issues of the year. But then we get into the next story by J. Michael Straczynski. Writing it, art by Jeff Shaw, colors by Dean White and Ruth Redman, lettering by VCs Travis Lanham, called Love and Death and Much in Between. And if you thought, oh man, Thanos is just the worst, I'll never feel any empathy toward him. You then got to read this story. It's brutal. Like, the thing that I, I found the most fascinating about this short story was that it it flips everything that you know about Thanos. Like, it takes his mantra, his very core ethos, and really kind of shows you where it comes from and why he feels this way. And in particular, if he doesn't follow through with his, like with this mantra, like it betrays everything that he believes in and everything that's come before. And I'm like, Oh, that's brutal. Mm -hmm. So, so good. Then the, the final story in there is the bar at the end of the line written by Kyle Starks, penciled by Ron Lim, one of the best to do it, especially when it comes to Thanos. Uh, inks by Don Ho, colors by Israel Silva, and lettering by VCs Travis Lanham. And it's Thanos walks into a bar. It's sort of like the the beginning of what could be the joke, but it's Thanos walking into a bar looking for Nebula and the conversations and the battles that ensue. It is just tremendous. It's just Thanos getting into some business with some people. Uh, ultimately, though, this is very important because it starts to unravel some of the mysteries for Thor. It's pointing him in different directions and giving him some some ways to figure out how to decipher the big mystery of this vision. So from there, it leads directly into Thor number 29. So please, if you're going to read one of these issues, read both of them. Read Thor number 29 next. Yes. And speaking of Thor 29, I'll take it from here. Uh, it's written by Thorne Grumbeck with art by Nick Klein, colors by Matt Wilson, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And it kicks off right where we left off in Thanos Death Notes number one. But also, Ryan, this is a very spicy book. Not only do we get the story of Thor, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with Thanos, he, he has a new mission. I don't want to spoil it. The, the clue, trying to find the person who was kind of hinted at at the end of Thanos Death Notes number one. Um, but the second story that kind of woven into this is Runa going on a date. They're on a first date and it just opens up so perfect. They're at a bar. There's a guy who's just harassing the two women. And the way that Runa threatens the guy is so satisfying. Like the guy has a full beard, right? A full mustache and beard. She throws liquor on his beard and then lights a lighter and just kind of holds it in front of him like your move. And he freaks out, runs away. It's I loved it. I adored it. But after that, we get into some very, 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 very spicy content. Uh, let me tell you. Uh, but I'm here for it. I love this. As the story continues, we watch as Runa and Thor team up and essentially go on this mission that leads them to Niflheim and they kind of start to discover this hidden secret. Uh, Essentially, they have a map that leads them there, but Thor realizes that this particular part of Niflheim has pretty much been kept a secret. And so we get to see what kind of secret, why it's being held as a secret, and what 
lies there. We'll just leave it at that for now. Highly recommend you pick this up. All right, we've got our picks out of the way, so it is time for our community section and some awards. What was last week's award? So last week we had the I Can Give You Emerald City Award, which was in strange number eight. It was actually on the last page on the last panel, uh, which I thought was kind of neat. But we had Karis Pollard find it first. Uh, she tweeted at us using the hashtag Marbles Pull List and said, I thought it might be Strange Academy in a I may not be the Wicked Witch, but I can give you Emerald City way, but I was only half right. It was in Strange. And look at those facial expressions as she screenshotted the actual page where it came from. And it, it's delicious. I love this page so much. I love that book. Excited to see where it goes next. And she's right about the facial expressions. Good on you, Karis, for finding it so, so quickly. All right, we have some honorable mentions and some shout outs for you. We've got an email that came in from our pal Lex Pendragon, who said, I've been posting the award names still, but I wanted to drop you all a quick note to say I appreciate that you address that social media is in flux. No matter what, you folks are positive about what you're discussing and everything is always uplifting and in a good light, except fascists, but they do need a good face punching. Damn right. Lex. Lex continues by saying what actually made me click new for this email was that I am pretty sure the reason I had originally signed up for Twitter the first time was purely so I could talk back to Agent M and former co-host Ben Morse on early, early This Week in Marvel episodes. And from that found uh, a whole bunch of communities like Horizon Labs and Ben and we've been buddies and doing weekly video D&D games for over a year. Lex's party rock gnome is level 13 and just lost his hand but replaced it with a cannon. The site nice. might be in flux, he says, but the people certainly aren't, and it's just about staying connected where you can. Comics and yins truly make the world a better place. Thanks. Thanks, Aww. Lex. All right, Ryan, are you ready for this week's award name, though? Sure am. All right, this week, short and sweet, again, it's the Can We Eat Him Award? Love it. It's a good one. Um, I am here for it. I hope you all find it and get delight out of it like we did. Uh, so if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're among the first, just keep your DMs or messages or whatever open and I'll send you something. Yeah. I'll start us off. All right. So let's give out some Can We Eat Him awards with all the comics this week again. We have 21 more comics, so let's Currently get stretching. this started. Ugh. Yeah, stretch it out. Get ready. We're going to start with Avengers number 63, which is the next part of the big Avengers Assemble event that's happening across Avengers and Avengers Forever. And there's so much going on in here. So great to see Javier Garon back and just delivering. It's action-packed. It's brutal. It's got uplifting moments and sad moments. I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him award to Ghost Rider, prehistoric Ghost Rider, who has all the moments in this issue reading this. I was like, Oh, I would, I would take full, like a full series of just this character, man. So good. So good. All right. Next up, we have Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number seven, and we're continuing, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with the outer circle. And in this issue, we get Captain America assembling a small team of very, very close friends, but I'm going to give my, can we eat him award to one in particular? Uh, we're gonna I'm gonna give it to Roger Aubrey, aka the destroyer, aka Dynamite. Old school. Love it. All right, we've got Captain Marvel number 44 this week. This is a wonderful X-Men plus Captain Marvel versus Brood storyline. 
which actually gets into some um, big emotional territory for a bunch of characters in here. But I will give my Can We Eat Him award to like the, the camaraderie. There's one scene in particular. There's one panel in here where everyone in the group that Carol is with, which is Quanon, Gambit, Wolverine, Spider-Woman, Polaris, and Hazmat put their hands together and get ready to go fight. And it's rad. Love it. All right, next up, we have Damage Control number five, which is the last issue of this miniseries. And in this, we explore the last job that, you know, our main character could possibly be hired to do, which is essentially just logging and making sure that everything's in place in a giant, giant warehouse where all of the superhero weapons and extra doodads and bobbits, whatever, are stored. And I'm going to go ahead and give my Can We Eat Him Award to Nepotism because that's something that we learn about our main character and why he is currently employed at Damage Control. But it's not what you think. I promise. All right. We've got Daredevil number six this week. Oh, so good. I love this book so much. The storyline is full throttle, really, really picking up. I will give my Can We Eat Him Award to just the first page, which opens up with Fancy Dan and Stegron and a bunch of other characters. But literally, you tell me, I'm getting Fancy Dan and Stegron in the same issue with actual like character moments in here. Beautiful. Yes. Give it to me. Give it to me. Just wash it all over me. It's so good. Uh, but we also got Matt Daredevil getting into some stuff and seeing his plans come to fruition. We've got Electra Daredevil doing some wild stuff. Beautiful, beautiful art. It, it furthers a bunch of storylines. It gets us headlong into the big conflict that they're building. It gives a bunch of um, like world building and character arcs in here. It is excellent, excellent comics. Yes. Speaking of excellent, excellent comics, this could have also been a pick of the week for me. Fantastic Four number two. This is another kind of single bottle episode type issue where instead of following the thing and Alicia, we are following Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman, uh, which the way that Ryan North is kind of pacing the beginning of this book is so fascinating. We're learning all these little mysteries, little pockets across the country. Um, and in this one, we're in a small town where we kind of start to learn that a lot of the citizens might be Doombots. I don't know how to put it other than it's probably the most Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four book this that we've read in a really, really long time in terms of just like the the heart at, at the core of this book, but also just the way that Ryan North gets these characters, including the villains, is truly just unbelievable, but also terrifying. Because I'm like, you're doing such a great job right now with pulling the heartstrings. But I'm terrified what you're going to do with my heartstrings like in the later issues because I can already see that he's got something cooking. And for that, I'm going to give him the Can We Eat Him Award. All right. Speaking of giving our Can We Eat Him Award to creators, I'm going to give mine to penciler Corey Smith for Ghost Rider number nine. It is probably my favorite of Corey's issues for this Ghost Rider run. We recently had Corey on the podcast to talk about Ghost Rider. And it's just so good. There's... um very very disgusting stuff if you're like if hellraiser is your jam then you're going to be totally fine with this if you are squeamish this is a very difficult issue there's one moment where we get into the subway station this underground place and it's just so gross it's so great but there's also the character designs that Corey puts out for some demons and some creatures uh what ghost rider builds ghost rider 
makes a chainsaw, a hellfire chainsaw, which of course, part of this is all Benjamin Percy, but we know he's a demented, messed up human being. Corey coming in here, just full fire. Ghost Rider up to the max. Uh, It's a gnarly, gnarly issue. Another one that could have been one of my picks. Not going to lie. It definitely made me squeamish. I was was thinking of you as I was reading it. I had to put it down at times. So I was like, whew, this is heavy. Okay. Next up, we have Immortal X-Men number nine. Could have also been a pick of the week. Uh, But Ryan, before we get into this issue, if you wanted to take out the Quiet Council, who would you take out first? Uh, Hope. You have the poetic way of saying hope dies. And, you know, like there's that. It's like super super cheesy supervillain answer. Yeah, I would go for hope. I like Yeah. I was going to say Xavier because telepaths are the first ones I have to go. You know, like those are the dangerous ones. They can do they can do so much damage in a matter of seconds. True. But hope's a good one. I like that. It's about the message, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's essentially what happens in this issue as Sinister tries to take out the Quiet Council one by one, but he's kind of having some trouble. He's got to figure it out. There's not one right way to do it. Um, and as we quickly learn in this issue, he's got to figure out what that order is in order to continue his master plan. Uh, but I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him Award to this one bit where sinister goes after emma frost and emma frost turns to diamond and all she has to do to take him out is poke his eyes out with her two fingers like she's just like hey bro boom gone and i'm like it was just oh it's it's a gross image but also the most just badass super simple super clean she's just like i don't even have to think about this you're gone All right. We've got Marauders number nine. Uh, I don't want to say anything other than my Can We Eat Him Award goes to the final page, which had me going, damn it. I you you got me. (laughs) And I was so excited for the last page. I was like, "Ooh, we're going to need to get our Marvel Legends fam on the phone for this one. Yeah, dude, I'm so pumped. All right. Next up, we have a big launch coming out this week. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number one. Right off the bat, I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him Award to the new super team that is formed here, uh, the Sad Sacks, a.k.a. Moon Girl's roller derby team of Inhumans, Inhuman children. Uh, Really cool to see this kind of take place. But also I love that they're just hanging out at a roller rink and the significance that that carries because I used to work at a roller rink. At one point, one of the characters talks about the historical context that roller rinks kind of hold for, you know, the kings and queens of hip hop. Uh, as someone who, you know, worked at a roller rink early on and saw a lot of that firsthand in Chicago, like, could not agree with her more. Love it. All right, we've got New Mutants number 32 this week, which gives us our second appearance this week of Sublime, which is a wild thing for me to be saying. But if you are a fan of Sublime and the weirdness that is Sublime, uh, you're feasting, feasting this week. Um, But on top of the Sublime, I want to give my Can We Eat Him award to Escapade's powers and the way that they're used in this issue. It provides like funny moments, sad moments, really touching and and poignant moments. But um, seeing how those work, her powers allow her to uh, sort of like trade places with someone, but only for a limited amount of time. And it like messes with perception. It's a really neat thing. And how that's used to almost get like a jailbreak sequence in here is a blast, honestly. Next up, we have Predator number five. And dude, I love this book. I did not know how much I needed this book in my life. But after issue number four, where we saw that amazing climactic battle against some of the uh, Predators for against our main character. Now we are, it's kind of like an in-between type issue where 
We get to see what happens as she gets rescued by the security for a corporation. And we start to kind of piece together some of her stories, some of the, you know, the history behind this particular team that was murdered that included her parents uh, by the predators and the type of mission that they were on. But the thing that I, I really enjoyed about this is last issue, we got all this action, but very little dialogue. And in this one, we get a lot of dialogue, a lot of context, and they pair really well together. I actually reread issue number four before reading number five because it just helped mesh those two together really well. But I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him Award to the fact that our main character, Theta, is so deadly, she can make a carton of milk and a fork into your death sentence. That's all I'm going to say. All right, we've got Punisher number eight this week. Hell of an issue. Look, we know there's a lot of comics out this week, but there's some friggin' great issues, including this one. We've got Ares, the god of war, marching his giant army to the hand and where Punisher is. Uh, and Punisher is like getting more and more powerful as the fist of the beast. And he's got these, these gnarly powers. He's stronger, he's scarier, he's bigger. So you've got that going on. But also there's this big storyline happening with Maria Castle, Frank's wife. And you're getting a lot more of her side of things, her personality, her characterization, what she's gone through, all that stuff. So I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him Award to the Castles for having uh, a great issue, even though not great things are happening for them, but like <laughs> we're moving in really interesting ways for these, for yeah, these we characters. Are. I don't want to give anything away, but man, I can't wait to see what the hell happens next issue. <sighs> Me neither. Speaking of Maria's. We have Secret Invasion number two starring Maria Hill as our main character um, as she interrogates a Skrull invader. And the thing I love about this scene is that Ryan North really just kind of deconstructs these types of like scenes that we're very familiar with, these tropes that we're familiar with and these types of stories where when she's interrogating uh, the Skrull, we kind of learn what the methods are that we usually see, but then we kind of see them get flipped on their head and but we slowly discover that the scrolls have a new way of not being detected. So what does the CIA do? Build a new device to detect the new kind of scrolls. Um, and the first thing Maria Hill does is bring in the Avengers. And she quickly tests them one by one to see if they've been compromised in any way. But I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him Award to the fact that Squirrel Girl is in the Avengers in this book. I, I laughed out loud so hard. Because you see all the big hitters, you got T'Challa, you got Captain America, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, and then we have Doreen Green sitting there alongside all these heroes because she deserves it. She's an Avenger, and I love that. Yeah, I did not question it whatsoever. I was so happy. No, of for course it. not. All right, Spider-Man number three is out this week. The dance lot, Mark Bagley jam, where they're just they're trying to mess up all the great things about the Spider Verse. And I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him award to Spintress, who has great moments, great lines, but ultimately a big role to play in what happens in this issue. All right, I'm going to also take a pair of Star Wars books out this week. We've got Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 29. Uh, I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him Award to IG-88. It's like we've got all kinds of various different stories that we've been telling in here. And then Ethan Sachs and crew just drop in a couple of pages of IG-88, the, you know, the terrifying bounty hunter robot who just rules. It's like a three or four page sequence in here, which I, I had a blast with. And then we have Star Wars Hidden Empire number two, which is feels like this big culmination of the story of Crimson Dawn. They're trying to not destroy the Empire, 
but destroy the Sith. And that plan is really coming to a head here. And, and Kira is, have you ever watched Scrubs, Jasmine? Yeah. There's an episode in the first of the second season of Scrubs where mm-hmm. there's a doctor played by actor Sean Hayes who comes mm-hmm. in, who uh, Sean Hayes from Will and Grace, he's great. Uh, but Sean Hayes comes in and he's this doctor who is like always smiling, always getting things done, even though like things keep going wrong. And, and he's like always putting on a smile Kira feels like that doctor here where like, oh, this thing has gone terribly wrong. She's like smiling, like, don't worry, I got this. Let's do this. Don't worry. This was planned the whole time. Like literally that said, my can we eat him award goes to the last two lines said in this book. No, I don't want to say them. I don't want to spoil them. It's so good. It's so good. It is so ominous and terrifying. And it's like, oh, you done messed up. You better run is all I'll say. (sighs) Moving on from the Star Wars, we have Tiger Division number two, which last time we talked about this book, I I mentioned it. This team book really feels like some of our old classic team books where not only are we getting, you know, all these heroes all in one book, but we're getting the like intimate moments between these uh, members. Like it's not just big action sequences. These are all brand new characters for the most part. And we don't really have a lot of backstory to go off of. So as we progress through the story, we get to learn about where these characters come from, what shapes them, where their morals lie. Um, But in this particular issue, I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him award to Lady Bright, who is a card-wielding sorceress. Um, But she right away clocks that Taeguki, the team leader, is like something's going on there. And like, there's nothing more important than like, you know, when you're, when you're with your group of friends and you notice that something's a little off, you just make sure you check in with them, ask them how they're doing. Are they okay? Something wrong? Like, do you want to talk about it? And I really appreciated seeing that in this type of book. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have The Variants, issue number five. Uh, this is the conclusion of The Variants miniseries. Last issue, we had a huge revelation on who essentially is the evil Jessica. So if you haven't read that, highly recommend that you read that before you pick this up because you get spoiled within the, it literally picks up right where we left off on the rooftop in a what seems to be a major battle of the Jesses. Uh, we have a bunch of multiversal Jessicas here on top of the ones that we've already met. We have, here, I'll read some of these off for you. We have Revision, who is a vision flavor Jessica Jones. We have Jessica 2099, who's kind of got this cyborg slash cable aesthetic going. Uh, we have Sigil, who's a an Asgardian version, Power Woman, who, you know, obviously takes after her husband's name. Ultra Jess, who is wearing a red cape with a red sigil on her chest. Uh, but my favorite has to be an Electra flavored Jessica, who is named Morning Blush. But not morning as in like early in the morning, but morning as in I'm about to murder you and your family will have to mourn your death. And also named after the type of lipstick that Jessica Jones picked at the beginning of the series when she's in the department store. Uh, I love those little Easter eggs. But the one Jess that's going to get my Can We Eat Him award is Morning Blush. To round us out for this week, we've got a trio of X books. First up is X-Force number 35. So good. Shout outs to Chris Allen, who was doing some really great stuff on Miles Morales Spider-Man over the last you know couple of years. Also being one of our Stormbreakers coming in here for this X book, doing some of my favorite work that Chris has done, especially his his like monsters and creatures. I was like, oh, Hell this yeah. is something I can't wait to see Chris do more of. Uh, but I want to give my Can We Eat Him award to the beast of it all. Hank McCoy in this issue 
all over the place. I am not going to say a damn thing, but whew, truly. Oof. Oof. All right, moving on. X-Men Red, number nine. Speaking of oof, Vulcan? What a scary dude. Uh, and this issue proves that uh, over and over again as we read through this issue uh, as we're on the Shiari planet and the Royal Guard. There is something in this book that like blew my mind. And Al Ewing continues to just make these huge swings, these huge plays, really calculating how you know these characters would play this sort of 3D chess against each other. And I'm going to give my Can We Eat Him award to Vulcan because, <laughs> dude, the way he grills Nova is probably my favorite thing in this book. Like he just continuously hits him with all of these like just one-liners that get me every time. Like at one point he t- he just calls him a space cop and he's just like, "Chill out, bro. Like what are you going to do? Burn me?" Ooh, nice try. And uh, it's so so good. All right, last issue of the week is Extreme X-Men number 1. That's right, is Extreme X-Men is the return to form of the original Extreme X-Men and brings back the team that launched that book, Chris Claremont and Salvador LaRocca. They are picking right up, literally right up from issues at the end. I think there's a there's an editor's note here talking about issue 46 of Extreme X-Men. And then boom, we're right into this storyline. So picking up that sort of continuity, those characters, where they were, what was going on. So if you were a fan of that classic, here you are. You get more and more of it. I will give my Can We Eat Him award to Salvador La Roca doing some really great character design, some new costumes, some uh, some really cool stuff, the great emotion between characters, everything around Kitty. Give me some Lockheed. Salva rules. All right, that's it for our fabulous fresh floppies this week. Uh, but over in the collection side of things, we have a couple of books coming out. We have Immortal X-Men by Kieran Gillen, Volume 1, and Punisher, Volume 1, The King of Killers, Book 1. I also want to throw out that we have the King in Black Omnibus and the Black Panther by Christopher Priest Omnibus, which I think would make excellent gifts for your loved ones. Very, very true. We've also got a packed week for Infinity Comics on Marvel Unlimited with new issues of X-Men Unlimited, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Avengers Unlimited, Avengers Electric Rain, Marvel's Voices, The Family Snicked, Love Unlimited, Hulkling and Wiccan, and Alligator Loki. Woo! All right, so a lot of comics. We are now about to get into our reading club. Before we do, Jasmine, I did want to read a tweet that I just got as we were recording, Ooh. which um, was sent to me by D. W-I-R-3, so I'm assuming D-Wire, at Dean Wire, who said, should I read The Reading Club before or after listening to the podcast? I'm new here. I think that's a great question, and I wanted to throw Mm -hmm. it here because we're about to get into our reading club. My suggestion for these always is to read the book before you listen to this part of the episode, but we do get into spoilers for our reading clubs. That's the way we operate. So um, with that in mind, I leave it up to you at your discretion, but I think Jasmine, you would agree with me. Read the comics first. Yes. And also make sure you look at the show notes. We have, you know, the timestamps where the book club starts. So if you do pause uh, the show here and come back to it, you can quickly do so by clicking on that timestamp as well as we have links to the actual books that we'll be reading so you can just look down there and you'll see a link to the marvel unlimited comics boom 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 so thank you for your question dwire and thanks for joining us yeah all right so jasmine remind us reading club what do we got we are talking to marvel's midnight suns creative director jake solomon about rise of the midnight suns uh we're gonna get into the video game and we're gonna get into the origins and the history in the comics uh so stick around for that yeah 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 
Jasmine, are you ready to roll onto the highway to hell and talk about some Rise of the Midnight Suns yeah, with yeah, our guest yeah, yeah. this week, Jake Solomon, creative director for Marvel's Midnight Suns. Hello, Jake. Oh, hello. I could not be more excited <laughs> to find my people and talk about the Rise of the Midnight Suns. It's, uh, yeah. it's a banger, but it's a deep cut. It's kind of a deep cut for people. This was a great pick. Rise of the Midnight Suns, for anybody who doesn't know, is a six-part crossover that happened in the early 90s that came out of a whole bunch of a ghostwriter stuff, and it sort of brought back um, some some characters in the supernatural world, brought back some villains, and did some various things. But the collection that I read has nine issues, I think, in the six-part storyline. They just start inserting additional yeah. issues into it, which makes sense, but like... I read it as a kid when it was coming out. I remember yeah. the polybagged issues and I was reading it now. I'm like, wait a minute. This is not what I, okay, fine. Let's yeah. just roll. Let's just go. After there was the Midnight Suns, they did like a Spirits of Venom with like, uh, you know, Venom and, uh, you know, Spidey and, and Hobgoblin. There was, yeah, it was, it branched off into all kinds of things. And not only that, but like it, it picks up like where we had a, we had a reading club this past October with da writer Danny Lore on the Montessi formula. And it's like, all of that is pretty much yes. the prelude to this because That's so right. much of this is the repercussion of that. And I'm like, wow, like this is a, a long event. Like so many things are tied into it as well yeah. as what three books that are launched uh, at the same time, after, like during this event. That's crazy. That's right. Morbius, Darkhold, Night Stalkers, Night Stalkers. and Spirits of Vengeance. Right, Night Stalkers. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, and yeah, it's funny because I got my comics like from, you know, gas stations. It was hard for me to get this kind of stuff. And so there was a comic book store. But like, um, yeah, I, I remember I would read these comics and it's it's hard sometimes to understand like the larger, like these tied into a lot of bigger things in the world at large that like I didn't understand, like the Montezzi formula. Like when I read it, I was like, I don't know what that is, but okay. That's probably bad for Hannibal King. I don't know what's going yeah. on here, but um, yeah, it's a wild, it is a wild event. That's why I love it. It is wild. It is super wild. Um, I did want to say in the the collection, you mentioned, Jake, the um, the Spirits of Venom crossover that, that comes out shortly after this. We actually talked about that. We did Spider-Man Spirits of Venom right. with Marvel's 616 director, David Gelb, back in 2021, wow. January of 2021, so almost a year ago, we talked with uh director of the documentary series, Marvel 616, about this and getting, I remember part of the whole conversation being, the Cuberts are so friggin' good. They are and I think that's so important. So good. They are so good. Um, so I had the poster for Spirits of Venom uh, uh, outside of my office the entire time I've been making this game. Um, and also there's a scene in the game where Venom in the sewers comes on a blade mission. He comes crawling out on the ceiling of a sewer. Yeah. Um, and that was a pure reference to Spirits of Venom because that it is the coolest cover. May, maybe the coolest cover. It's got the rad like 90s like hyper color like pinks and oranges yes. and yes. and he's hanging upside down and it's the kind of thing it's like a ghost rider skull is like hanging from a chain and you're like i don't know what that means and of course you read the comic you're like that's definitely not in there but it was so <laughs> awesome it was so I, I that cover is like one of the coolest covers that i remember i love that you're already talking about some of the like the tie-ins to the game or like some of the easter eggs that you've put into the game oh yeah because like i feel oh, like yeah. you're living the dream like i think ryan and i are both like pretty big game nerds and like 
also big Marvel fans and like getting the ability to lead a game like that and create a game and really like build from the ground up. You get to put all those little Easter eggs from like your childhood, from like your you own guys, reading experience. Like I'm very curious what else you put into the game. We're family. We're family. Like I'm telling you. Yeah, it was um, it was hard. Like uh, it, it is one of those things where even starting at like choosing the roster. And so I, I will say, and I, I've said this before, but it's true. Marvel games, like they're like the best partner that I could imagine. Like they're just the most amazing partners. And it helps obviously that I'm like a, uh, like I think the first time I met them, I nerded out so hard on like specific panels and issues, whatever. I think they were like, all right, take it, uh, take it down a notch, buddy. I was like, all right, all right, all right. But yeah, I mean, it was amazing. The hardest thing is even choosing a roster for games. So yeah. we're a, a universe game. So we can choose from all the um, families. And it's like impossible. You're like, I can't choose just 12 heroes and, you know, seven villains. Like, that's truly impossible. Is that a number that you started off with? No, I started with 30 <laughs> heroes. And my producer was like, dude, please, what are you doing? So Marvel, if there are other comics, you know, I don't know them. Like, I honestly only grew up reading Marvel. And so for me, it was like so formative for me that like when you get your hands in the toy chest, it's almost overwhelming. It honestly is almost overwhelming where my narrative directors like me were really hardcore guys. We had nights where we're like, what are we doing? Why are they letting <laughs> us do this? Why why are they letting us run free on these these characters? We yeah. So yeah, it was a it was a real dream. I, I will say to to speak to Easter eggs, I went as deep as Dr. Bong. I don't know if you guys know Dr. Bong, yeah. right? Oh, okay, okay. He does not my know bad, Dr. Bong. Bad, if you bad. don't know Dr. Bong, go read some damn yeah. comic go read some howard the dog yes. please so yeah there's even a dr bong easter egg we went That's deep amazing. on this one I, I, anywhere i could find it um uh yeah so it was just a joy that's awesome. There are so many elements that are incorporated from the story. Like it's not necessarily a, a, a retelling or a one for one no. recreation, but like there are so many elements that are taken from it. I mean, like you you have the caretaker as one of your main like protagonists yeah. in the book, uh, as well as in the in the game, you have your villain who yep. is the exact same like Lilith is the, is the main villain, the big bad. Um yep. you you hear whisperings of the dark hold the about yeah. Chathan, and it's like this is very much the same, like flavor and very like it's very clear that it's taken inspiration from this arc and it's it's i could tell that it's a story of like a creation of love for sure yeah and we're really proud of caretaker she has the same color blocking as caretaker in the comics where he ends up being like a lot of things in the comics he's this character they write him in he's very cool and then like eventually they write more backstory to him to becomes even cooler you're like oh he's actually a, a member of the blood and he's got this <laughs> long history um so we took that and ran with it but um, yeah, we we have our caretaker, and she has the same color blocking as the caretaker from the comics. Uh, the first time you see her, she has a shovel, and that's of course again yes. on purpose because that's caretaker from the comics. I wanted her to be dipping and spitting, um, but there were a lot of people who were like, <laughs> "No, dude." And of course, we reference the blood. Like the blood is actually the story of the hunter. This is kind of the fun of dusting off toys like this, like Lilith and caretaker who um don't have as much story uh built out in the comics is that we can then say you know what would be cool we really wanted to give the player um an avatar in the game and we said well it'd be really cool what would tie this story together is if if the player character is actually lilith's child right and so yeah and again 
you know, we, we talked with Marvel. It was like, yeah, we can do that for this universe. Sure. The hunter is Marvel's child and caretaker is, is Lilith's sister. And you know, she's your aunt. So then we flesh out this idea of the blood where Lilith is of the blood and caretakers of the blood and Hunter is of the blood. And and so being able to play with those ideas that were kind of hinted at, I think, in the comics was, man, again, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, it's just it is just so, so overwhelming and awesome to be able to do that stuff. That that small detail you mentioned about the shovel, like in the first issue of this arc, uh, it's Ghost Rider issue number 28. And the first thing that you see is. The caretaker, like, <laughs> taking someone out, like, shovel, shovel to face. Yeah, and I'm shovel like... Shovel to face. In I was like, Hill who Cemetery. is this? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I am in, and I love that that detail's in there. That's awesome. For some of our listeners who heard our Jason, uh, where we're talking about Ghost Rider by Jason Aaron, oh, there's also the caretaker yeah. that Ghost Rider by Jason Aaron. Oh. I love guns. <laughs> yes. Nuns with guns. And that thing was yes. so Jason Aaron. It was so yes. heavy metal. I love yes. Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider run. So good. So we just we we recently talked about that. I just had an episode about that one, and it was the first time Jasmine yeah. read it. And I've been like t- telling people, like, you want my favorite Ghost Rider? This is it. It's yeah. like you know, fifteen issues, twenty issues, whatever it is, of like the most wild Ghost Rider. But there's a caretaker that comes out of that. So there's there's just cool caretaker well, stuff. They're all so this. because of that, the caretaker that comes out of that, her name is Sarah, mm-hmm. um, and that is why our caretaker's name Sarah, right? That's because so cool. of the Jason Aaron. Uh, the Jason Aaron Ghost Rider run, which we also love. It's so met- it's so Jason Aaron. Let's dive in uh, a little bit to the some of the credits for the original comics that we're talking about. So we're talking about Rise of the Midnight Suns. Jasmine just mentioned it kicks off with Ghost Rider number 28, uh, written by Howard Mackey. Howard does a bunch of the issues in this. Uh, Len Kamenisky, Chris Cooper, uh, DG Chichester, they all contribute stories throughout this. Um, we've got Pencils by Andy Kubert and Inks by Joe Kubert, which... Come on, that's like the one-two punch oh, that man. I. That's not fair. Always get excited. That for. is not. I mean, fair. yeah, exactly. We get them on the Ghost Rider issues. Andy, so good, and of course, we also at this point when we had a lot of Kubert action at Marvel, you also had Adam Kubert, yep. friend of the show, friend of ours. He uh, he drops in here. Oh man, you guys know him. <laughs> Nerding out right now. <laughs> But we've got Kubert's all over this. We've got amazing art by Ron Wagner, Ron Garney looking so good, and Richard Case. So it's really rad to see him doing his style, that weird, twisted, nightmare style on Darkhold in here. So the storyline- that was- We got to talk about that book because that one's a wild one. Yeah, so the the storyline goes from Ghost Rider 28 to the Ghost Rider Blaze Spirits of Vengeance launch, then the Morbius launch, Darkhold launch, Night Stalkers launch, and comes back to Ghost Rider 31, which is why in the in the collection, even though they're not numbered parts, 29 and 30 of Ghost Rider are inserted into the, the recent collections to give some context and sort of fill in a couple of the gaps that go on. So it is a meaty, pretty intense crossover. Now, um, is 30, I'm trying to think of my, my favorite is the Skinner. That's so, the one where with, with Skinner, one of the Lillian. It's who, one um, of my favorite. Um, it's actually one of my favorite comics. So like as a kid that really, really like scared me, I remember that yeah. scared me. And it's actually one of my favorite comics. I think I have like four versions of it in my office right now. It really stuck with me. There's this dad and right? it affects me more now being a dad. He's like uh, Lilith, who's the mother of demons. She's coming to collect her children who have forgotten her, these demon children. And Skinner is one of them. She goes to find him and he's like made a life with humans he's playing on the floor with his like baby daughter i think and there's like a toy bunny 
And then like, you know, he comes out of his house and he's like, nah, I'm not doing that. I don't do this anymore. And then she says like one word to him, like you, you know, ah, serve me child. He's like, okay. He goes back in the house and they don't say what he does. There's this panel where he's walking away from his house that he shared with his family. And the toy bunny is like ripped to shreds. And it's like the coolest panel where I was like, oh, I get I get what they're saying here. And that like messed me up when I was a kid. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. So that was uh, that was Ghost Rider Blaze Spirits of Vengeance number three. That is Adam Kubert art, um, Howard Mackey stuff. And my favorite because rereading, I'm, I'm similar to you. Jake, uh, now I'm as a, a dad with a three-year-old there. Lilith says, have you settled things with your family? In and my own the, way, over... mother. In my own way. <laughs> it, exactly. And uh, I just, it's chilling. It's yeah, chilling. It is. Oh. It is. It's cool because Johnny Blaze is not Ghost Rider yeah. in this, right? Like Johnny Blaze and his Hellfire Shotgun. I grew up reading, like this was my first intro to Ghost Rider. So I only knew Danny Ketch's Ghost Rider. Same. And it was like, yeah, uh, Johnny Blaze had his cool Hellfire Shotgun. He was like the coolest guy, like every page. So I tell my team, I was like, in this comic, like in the Midnight Suns and in the Spirits of Vengeance Ghost Rider comic, like you you should just imagine a guitar riff every time you turn a page. <laughs> like it is the most like hair metal, awesome like comic. Um, yeah. yeah, he's got that ponytail, the oh, 12 yeah. o'clock shadow. Yeah, oh. sunglasses no matter what time of day it is. My boy Johnny is looking good. Speaking of time. looking good, uh, in the issue of Morbius, Morbius number one, when Morbius gets his, a new <laughs> costume and heads over to the shop. Morbius takes out three pages to be like, I need a he's new like, costume. He's like, I need a new costume. Yeah. And he goes to a shop that's actually like based on a shop. Yes. So, yeah, I wanted to say when I reread it now, I was like, oh, this is Trash in Vaudeville. Yeah, they right. call it Trash that's in right. Godville. Yeah. One thing I want to share, something we always do when we do these is like the sort of the context of the time around when this came out. So this yeah. this started. This was a summer of 1992 crossover summer into fall 1992. So when Ghost Rider 28 comes out, Cap Wolf is happening wow. in Captain America. Oh, my which gosh. We've, we've, we talked about with Chris Gethard a bunch of months ago. Um, Luke Cage had had his uh, ongoing series recently launched. Uh, Infinity War was about in the middle That's of it. Wild. So it's the second of the Infinity tri yep. trilogy of the time that was going on, which is to me is extra wild because Infinity Gauntlet 6 ends in December and they immediately get the next really? one up and rolling because of how big of a Oh, that was a, so a, hot. A that was, was so hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man's uh, 30th anniversary is happening. So you're getting Amazing Spider-Man 365, which is, might be the return of his parents in, in that issue. But there's all kinds of stuff going on over in the Spidey books. Um, we are publishing two Barbie books at the same time. Bill and Ted's excellent comic book, which has killer stuff by Evan Dorkin, which anybody can go, should go and find it if you've never read that. Uh, Alan Davis was doing some really wild stuff on Excalibur at the time. Um, oh, I love Excalibur. I love Excalibur. X-Men. We're just wrapping up Jim Lee's run at Marvel yeah. and at X-Men at this point. Um, we just had the Ghost Rider x-men couple of issues previous months to this we are publishing wcw world championship wrestling comics we've got uh oh terror gosh. inc had just launched Hell right yeah. before this we were producing toxic crusaders comics oh wow the kids friendly version of the toxic avenger god i love the 90s we would do so much weird stuff it was amazing the uh that those trauma things yeah toxic Avenger. i remember my dad was watching that movie 
I caught like half a scene of that movie <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I was terrified. It's one of those things where it's like, I shouldn't have seen that. I was way too young. And now yeah. it lives on in your oh. video games. It does. Oh, it does. And and the same month, maybe the same week, but with or within at least two weeks or three weeks of Ghost Rider, Spirits of Vengeance start or Rise of the Midnight Sun starting, we put out one of our Marvel swimsuit specials. Woo. And I had that. I bought Love. that. Those. As a little kid, wow. what a time Love to be alive. those. Dude, Punisher's outfit was banging. Uh, one of the things I did want to mention, uh, because we're, we're talking about all these different books that launched at the time, and we're also talking about Marvel's Midnight Suns, the video game, which is a team game. Yep. And yep. Uh, we were talking about the characters that you chose. I Reading this book, I didn't realize how many obscure characters were, in the, were members of Midnight Suns. Like, we have, like, it's a nine-person team. And... Probably the only recognizable names are Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider, Morbius, and Blade. Like for anyone who's just a casual fan right now. And then there's a yeah. And if if you want to throw Strange in there, he kind of like makes his like he's like appearances, right? Like that's you know he makes his little vaudeville appearances at the corner of some of the frames, right? Like I did it. I did it. I I saved the world by. Can I just say so? This is another thing. That's right. We 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 would laugh about. There are a couple of panels there, and I love I love Doctor Strange, but it's really funny in this book. Like he'll show up a couple times, and there's like one panel where he's like, uh, he I think he's facing Lilith, and he says something like, "If you and I were to face off right now, the power of our mystical energies yeah. would destroy the world." And he like flies away, and you're like, "Come on, Stephen!" Like uh, he yeah. Then he's like, "If I had faced her, I'm sorry, I would have destroyed the world." So I got you guys to do yeah. it. Like. What I love about the comics, what the comics does better than any media, even games, even movies or whatever, is power scaling, Mm -hmm. where it's like there are certain characters that are just on another level. So in this book, Doctor Strange was like, sorry, guys, like I am too big for this. Delegating. He's like, you guys can handle it. They kind of go back to the well with it. The next year, they launched Secret Defenders, yeah. where he's also like, ooh, I've got another team. I'm going to do it again with like more right. popular characters. Great. Right. They're like, that was popular. Let's try it again. Let's run this back, baby. So yeah. I guess like you kind of got to play the role of Doctor Strange in this game, right? You got to you got to create the team and like the players that were, that were put into the game. How did you narrow it down? You talked about the 30 characters. It was really difficult. And so... Actually, the other comic event that had an equally powerful impact on Midnight Suns um, was Fear Itself. Mm. So we actually took a lot from Fear Itself because I just love Fear Itself. All those like, hammers. I'm a, sucker. I'm a sucker for those events. So, yeah. And if, if people think about Fear Itself, you know, the idea is that, yeah, those hammers get dropped. And when they touch them, like heroes get converted into like Hulk becomes a villain. It, so, I mean, that had an enormous impact on us. It was Fear Itself event. And so from that, we were kind of like merging the idea of like the Midnight Suns. So we took the heroes that we felt were relevant from the Midnight Suns run, add more supernatural characters, Magic, Nico, Wanda, Scarlet Witch. Then we added more of an Avengers-themed crew um, with Iron Man, Captain America, Captain Marvel. And uh, the Hulk, we revealed the Hulk is the... Uh, the last playable character you have to go very far into the game to to unlock him but a lot of that came out of the fear itself event as well and so we kind of mashed these two together we gave our lilith in our universe we gave her the power of uh, the ability to corrupt and that really came out of the whole fear itself event somebody on the marvel games team was like yeah have you thought about the fact that you may be introducing people 
through your game, you may be introducing them to magic or to Nika. I'm like, yeah. that is, that's like so humbling and overwhelming where it's like these characters rule to think that they would learn about them and hopefully seek them out in other media is it's so cool. Well, it's similar to some of the characters that we've been talking about right now. And in, in this, in this arc where it's like, you know, like we were talking about Danny catch being a ghostwriter, like Robbie Ray's is going to yeah. be someone's ghostwriter. Like that's who yeah. they grew up while well, through playing this game or reading comics. Yeah. And, and Robbie, I, I love Robbie. Okay. Like I, I, I loved Robbie. And it was the, the thing where we were starting and we really wanted Robbie because we wanted to set up a storyline of young versus old. So the Avengers, you know, um, the old heads, you know, or, Right. The Earth's mightiest. Right. And so, you know, they come in as like they're the defenders of Earth um, and they come in and say, oh, this is an apocalyptic level threat. Like that's a Tuesday, you know, like the Avengers come in, but it's a supernatural threat. And so we wanted to have this cool story of like, well, if we skew all of our Midnight Suns, keep them nice and young. So Nico and Magic, who are who are young, Blade, make him younger. Robbie then fits right in. He's our ghostwriter because, you know keep them young and if spidey uh, peter comes in as like he joins the the sort of kids and you get this cool friction between the adults and the kids um and so we wanted that to be a sort of through line in the narrative as well two more things for me to to finish out um we talked a little bit about some of the lillin the children we mentioned skinner who's great yeah i love meat market meat market uh, i think meat market is a treasure i want somebody no. to bring meat market back over and over again. Yes. Um, and I think the cool thing about Meat Market is that when he was written, that's like when Lilith is her coolest, I think, because he's this grotesque. He's this rotting body. And, and this actually, we talked about this a lot. Like Meat Market is really important in this run because Lilith like loves him. Like she loves him like a child. And it, and she really like doesn't see the rotting flesh. Does She like puts this her hand on his face she caresses him and he like worships her and it's just really like one-dimensional villains i have no time for them like lilith is really cool like meat market is like yes mother and he's this disgusting rotting body and she's like i'm gonna take care of you meat market and she's like stroking his face and it we always viewed like lilith like views the monsters like she's a in, in the game as well it's like we view her as a very compassionate she loves her children so even in those books like she loved her children you know Maybe not the best mom, but she did love her children. <laughs> she Maybe not she the did. best kids, you know, but yeah. she loved them. She made do with so what I, I love Meat Market. Yeah. Yeah. Meat Market is great. And there's a moment where the, the Midnight Suns take him out the first time. Mm -hmm. And there's a close up of him and in, in small font. He says, mommy, which is you could read it as both comedy and as a very upsetting, yeah. heartbreaking moment yes. where he's just calling for his mother. And like you can look at it at both ways. And I, I was paying a lot more attention to that panel than I thought I would yeah. when I reread it. And I was like, some good stuff. It is. It is. Because when she first comes on the first book, she's just kind of like arrogant villain and that's fine. But when meat market comes into the book, she like, you get this side of her. You're like, Oh man, she like loves. She she's like, cares. And then of course, everything comes together. They're the big finale where Strange's, you know, machinations finally yes. come to bear. We were talking about this before we started rolling the way that they finally beat Lilith. And of course, <laughs> as we always suggest, read the issues before you hear us talk about it, because we do go through some spoiler stuff, but the, like Lilith has a portal open inside her and she's about to like do her thing. And then Ghost Rider is like, nope. You're gonna go inside yourself, zoom, yeah. and like shoves her in the portal, <laughs> like a like shoves. a Motorola razor, just like 
Yes. Get in Into there. her own stomach. You're like, what? <laughs> it was a wild ending to a wild, wild book. And now yeah, a video was... game. <sighs> Can't wait. Yes. Awesome stuff. Well, Jake, congrats on the launch yeah. of the game. Congrats on the great reviews. Amazing reviews. Uh, Thank yeah. you. Great yeah. reviews. I'm excited to get my filthy hands all over it and become best friends with magic as was preordained. Yes, it was always destined to be. So, yes, please, um, everybody, enjoy. This is honestly my last uh, engagement before the game comes out. I'm done after wow. this. So Woo. I'm very happy Poll List was like, I'm honored to be on this. So thank you guys for having me. Thanks again, Jake. This was awesome. Thank you guys very much. Big thanks to Jake Solomon and congrats to him and the entire team at Firaxis Games and Marvel Games on launching Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is now available to play on Windows PC via Steam or the Epic Game Store over on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X and S. Heck yeah. And make sure everyone, you do your best to be best friends with Ilyana Rasputin, aka Magic, in the game. There's no other choice. She no, should be your obviously. first choice. All right, that wraps it up. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us if you have any questions over at pulllist at marvel.com. You can also use the hashtag, hashtag Marvel's Pull List on any of the socials. Uh, we are on them all. Our handles are down below, but also make sure to rate and subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about us. Let us know how we're doing. We appreciate any feedback. It also helps people find the show when you rate us, so definitely do that. See y'all next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.